If you'd like to sponsor an episode of our podcast or you have something exciting you want to promote, please send inquiries to Nathan at UtilityMuffinLabs.com. We have several packages and options to work with any budget. We specialize in working with community content creators and we will write and produce unique individualized material for your events, books, or your products. Again, email Nathan at UtilityMuffinLabs.com for details. By Night Studios presents April 24th and 25th, 2020, the Mind's Eye Theater event of the season, Blood and Betrayal Redemption. Join us at the Abbey in downtown Orlando for an evening of intrigue, politics, and personal horror in an immersive live-action experience. Forge a new chapter in the World of Darkness Chronicle as you reveal the hidden secrets and twisted machinations of the Ivory Tower. Blood and Betrayal Redemption, a premium Vampire the Masquerade LARP event. Go to By Night Studios for tickets. Fans of our podcast use promo code MET25 for 10% off ticket prices. That's MET25 for 10% off. Blood and Betrayal Redemption. Bynightstudios.com. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. This week we're joined by Matthew Dawkins to talk about Cults of the Blood Gods, V5, and a whole lot more. He also quizzes us mercilessly on Clan Malkavian, so we had a lot of fun recording it. Next week, we will be releasing our special interview with Thomas from Flyos on Tuesday, February 4th, instead of our normal Friday release, due to some time-sensitive material in the podcast. Make sure you listen to that episode on Monday. If you're interested in backing the Vampire the Masquerade Chapters Kickstarter, we will have a special code for you to use to help out our podcast. Also, special thanks to By Night Studios for sponsoring this episode. Check out their upcoming LARP Blood and Betrayal Redemption at ByNightStudios.com and use our promo code MET25 for 10% off. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Before we hit record, we were kind of talking about um, the the oddity of the dynamic of the vampire audience. Um, would you care to talk about that a little, Mr. Dawkins? By the way, thank you for joining us. Well, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Um, so, well, you, you mentioned... Uh, well, we we were talking about some of the uh, different fans uh, yeah. who have b- become names, I guess, and uh, that strange dichotomy of uh, a segment of fans that say that uh, we're all a bunch of Nazis, and another segment of the fans that, uh, to use the vernacular, uh, believe we are um, soy boy libtard beta cucks, <laughs> and... Uh, and other such, uh, because, of course, in one camp, you've got people saying that V5 is an edgy game for edge lords and is uh, filled with dog whistles. <laughs> and on the other, you've got uh, people saying, uh, you gave into censorship, you toned down all the material, you are, um, you, you're not standing by your, I guess, ethics in games writing or some bullshit. Um... <laughs> sounded like a grumpy old man i've been fighting in these trenches for a while i, I was just trying to understand that phrasing the ethics there in writing fiction yeah. is it yeah hmm. all right ah well no that's just me taking the piss out of gamer gators um <laughs> b- 
because uh, honestly the idea of ethics and games journalism being a cause for fighting uh, is uh, frankly nonsense to my mind. I know I'll probably make enemies out of this one. Well, uh, but I've got to do it to stay relevant. No, um <laughs> the so, so no, it's um it's something that comes up in all seriousness. It's something that comes up in I guess any major license that you work with. This is the, really my first time coming across it because Vampire the Masquerade is the biggest license I've worked on. I've absolutely no doubt that Dungeons and Dragons has been through the same thing. And I, I don't put this purely down to edition warring, but I think when you do something like announce a new edition of a major game, the the fans are going to start speaking loudly. Some in incredibly vocal, enthusiastic support, for which we are very grateful, some in incredibly vocal, loud criticism, and we can be grateful for that if it's constructive, um, but we can also want it to just end uh, when it's, oh, I guess, fueled by prejudice especially, and I put that especially down to the people that think that we're somehow pandering to a soft liberal audience by putting in safety guidelines in a book. I mean, Christ, it's the 21st century. I think safety <laughs> guidelines in a horror game is a pretty sensible thing to put uh, down. Also, but, if people um, actually read the previous material, they'd know it's not new. That's not a new thing. Nope, nope. The, the idea that Vampire the Masquerade has all of a sudden become political is... Uh, well, did, did people not notice that there was a movement called the Anarchs in previous <laughs> editions? It's... Uh, the same group that's saying, oh, I'm not going to get into Werewolf the Apocalypse 5th edition because it's going to be so politically motivated. What do you think it's going to be about? Saving the fucking world? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, now, I've no insight into what Werewolf 5th edition is going to contain, but I have no doubt it will face the exact same polarised uh, fan opinion. And don't get me wrong, fans, by and large, are fantastic uh, because they support us, they buy our books, they play our games, and the vast majority of fans don't speak on forums, they don't join Facebook groups, they don't join Discords, they just buy the games and play them. Right. So we don't hear what their opinion is, and the likelihood is they don't have a strong opinion one way or another, they just want to play the game. But uh, the internet draws out people who have an opinion, and often if you have an opinion that you want to voice, not always, but sometimes, it's because you have a strong opinion. And the strongest opinions, or at least the loudest opinions, when it came to Vampire, and as it will probably come to Werewolf, are the people who are just screaming about it, either being um, far too edgy, you're trying to appeal to a, some kind of hidden Nazi market, or... Um, my God, how could you suddenly allow the Red Talons to have homids? You're appealing to the left-wing agenda <laughs> or, or something like that. that. That, by the way, I don't know if that's going to be happening. Um, uh, but I can, I can just kind of anticipate it, and it will be something related to the Black Furies or it'll be something related to the Get of Fenris. One of these, um, or the Red Talons, but probably the Black Furies or the Get, uh, where... You've got tribes that are so closely associated with a certain stereotype mm -hmm. that whatever you write, unless you're very, very careful, and I am sure Hunter's Entertainment is going to be very, very careful, uh, you're going to get some people 
getting very upset. And as a creative, uh, it's the it's one of the biggest challenges, but it's incredibly rewarding when you manage it to be able to completely block out that kind of screaming and only focus on the actual uh, the relevant criticism, the sensible criticism, reasoned criticism. Criticism is definitely worthwhile, but people can become fixated and ultimately they need to make the choice of whether this game is for them. Uh, and that may sound harsh, uh, because I certainly don't think that if, let's say, you... Let's say you have a... Uh, you really don't want to deal with feeding scenes because they are the kind of things that really upset you on some level. Uh, you've been through an experience in your life or you've seen a horror film or you're, you've something about it really upsets you. Now, that's fine. I think you can carry on playing vampire. You just need to speak to your storyteller or your storyteller needs to speak to you. You right. need to... Put down your boundaries and you'd say okay this vampire game isn't going to be focused on the feeding scenes it will be implied boom done but if the issue is that you're trying to read political messages especially to to the alt right <laughs> between the lines in a tabletop rpg uh i think you're best off moving on to another game um but you know that's my opinion right. i don't own it so uh, I've I've heard uh, I've heard some very bizarre, outlandish criticisms of both Werewolf in its current incarnation and Vampire, and like the secret right wing training ground, and um, <laughs> I just keep thinking of like all the years that I played LARP with the diversity of the community that we played with, and uh, I'm like, where, <laughs> where are they at? My my yeah. all time favorite, just to point out here as we're listening to this. Um, question I was ever asked was racially motivated. They had asked me, how come there's no black vampire clans and no black werewolf tribes? Me, of course, being, you know, African-American. Uh, and I, I chuckle because I was like, you know, you obviously haven't, there's a whole book on Africa and there's a, Cairo is there, you know, there's rage across, there's books. But I said, oh, you mean like American inner city stereotype type? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's because we're not dumb enough to become a vampire out where vampires are made. That's white people problems. And we stay out of the woods. If you look at any horror film, that's you, you're very rarely you're going to find them. That's why all our horror films are troped up, like Blackula or something ridiculous like that. We just we just avoid that supernatural nonsense. Uh, you did answer one of you did answer one of my questions, though. I was going to ask if uh, you were going to be having anything to do with Werewolf uh, Fifth Edition, or if you knew anything about it. Maybe in a freelance capacity, we'll have to see. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, uh, there's no plans to have me on board yet. But, you know, uh, if, if the offer comes and it's reasonable, I will be more than happy to consider it. The, uh, the very first book I contributed to for Onyx Path was Book of the Worm for 20th Anniversary Werewolf. And I also wrote a third of the Pentex employee indoctrination handbook. Uh, I'm trying to think, did I write on anything else for Werewolf? And I don't think I did. Uh, 
Uh, but yes, I, I've got uh, I've got some familiarity with Werewolf, uh, and when I say some familiarity, it's in my top three World of Darkness games. I had to think about that, but yeah, I'd say it's in my top three, probably third. I was curious, would you be willing to uh, edit for me my Takashi Six Nine Tribe uh, for Werewolf coming up? Uh yeah, sure. <laughs> Pay me, I'll do it. <laughs> Sorry, the Goodfellas line is "fuck you, pay me." Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> let, let's start off happy. Um, yeah, uh, I would love to write something worm-related. I mean, that's where my heart lies. Uh, probably because I spend so much time doing Wraith and Vampire. Um, but if I was able to get involved in W five in any capacity, I take back everything I said earlier about the lovely fans and how much I think all of them are fantastic. <laughs> and uh, Werewolf Five will go off without any controversy. Please hire me. Uh, no, I would <laughs> be more than happy to, especially write something worm related because I have a good mind for Pentex. Like a lot of people, I um have worked through the office grind and through a lot of horrible menial jobs and so that human horror of Pentex comes quite easy to me uh, but I also enjoy Black Spiral Dancers and Fomori because who doesn't oh and Vujunka Vujunka who never got updated for W20 much to my sadness the underground kind of well, alien creatures that were <laughs> sort of like bipedal eels if i remember from second edition yeah anyway there's been sort of scuttlebutt rumors around the internet that uh um cult of the blood gods is like going to be the last uh v5 book that onyx path does um Ah. do you know if there's any truth to that or are there other books planned down the line for onyx path well i mean my very busy because we've got uh, these next three the three stretch goals for Cults of the Blood Gods uh, to write now. Uh, so there's a few. Uh, but in terms of big books, you know, yeah. books we might do a Kickstarter for or something like that, right. uh, we will have to see. What it comes down to ultimately is which books Modifius approve uh, for us to make because that's how the license works. Uh, Modifius are the for want of a better term, the primary licensee. Uh, so that means they get the uh, the job of approving uh, books by any other licensees, whether that's us at Onyx Path. Uh, when I say us, I freelance for Motivius as well and other companies, but I'm most commonly associated with Onyx Path. Uh, and any other licensees, uh, I recall, without having any real personal knowledge of it, that there's a a South Korean company doing a Seoul or Seoul by night, I should say. Hmm. Uh, so one would assume that would also have to be approved by Modifius. Um, but yeah, in short, I imagine providing the terms are good, Onyx Path will be happy to carry on doing V5 books. I've certainly heard nothing to the contrary. Uh, it all just comes down to whether the pitch and the outline are good and whether Modifius happy for us to go ahead and do them I know that's a bit of a nebulous answer but <laughs> honestly with uh, but no with um, it's it's an interesting approval process uh, and interesting is an interesting word to use there because <laughs> when it was Paradox or even CCP approving 
uh, work that we were doing, we would, of course, write our, write our manuscript, send them off to the licensor. They would review it, leave comments, send it back. Now, in theory, for Vampire anyway, uh, two parties are going to be leaving said commentary, Modivius and Paradox. Uh, so there's the possibility turnaround times might extend, or scrutiny might be, uh, I guess, deeper. Uh, alternatively, I don't know how much scrutiny Paradox is going to have in such a relationship, whether it will be purely down to Modifius in the future, uh, as they get more and more acquainted with the line. So it's still a rather new day. Uh, Modifius have only been in this position for probably under a year now, uh, and so things are still being felt out. I, I imagine every party involved wants to be involved in Vampire for a very long time because, pragmatically speaking, it's a moneymaker. Uh, but, it yeah, all comes down to how much each party benefits. With, like, the fall of London, um, did that uh, play into um, Cult of the Blood Gods at all? Uh, how that uh, storyline played out? Uh, not particularly. Uh, I I mean, I'm down as co-developer on the Fall of London, but really my involvement in it was minimal. I wrote the initial outline. I was there during first drafts, but then I had to step down from the book. That was my, my choice. There wasn't any sort of controversy there. And uh, I quite happily, uh, I nominated Steffi Devan to take over from me because Steffi is an excellent author and developer and she was thankfully accepted by Modifius for the role and so I was able to hand over to her pretty seamlessly and whatever went on with the book after that point, I've got to be honest, I've had no sight of. I was interested and I was still a part of the Slack channels and Dropboxes and all that, mm -hmm. but it, to be honest, it's a, a question of time. I had lots of other work on, and so I couldn't just keep checking up on a book I wasn't getting paid for, uh, to, to be blunt. Um, <laughs> so, no, the, the only real connection between the two books, other than the fact they're both canon and exist in the V5 universe, is the cult of Mithras, because Steffi, who, as I say, developed Fall of London... Mm -hmm. Uh, also wrote the Cult of Mithras in Cults of the Blood Gods. So yeah. I asked her to make sure there was some continuity or connectivity there yeah. between both books. That makes that makes a lot of sense. That's actually where I was headed with the question. Yeah. Um, so the Cult of Mithras was actually one that got changed a bit, you know, battered around a little in development because... Uh, through uh, the development of Cults of Blood Gods and any other vampire book, or any book with a licensor, uh, the licensor is prone to leave comments. It's their right, and there isn't always a problem, because generally the licensor has a firmer vision for where the overall line is going than the licensee. They're privy to information we're not. So uh, Karim Mu'amar at Paradox... Uh, is generally the person leaving comments on our manuscripts. In future, it may well be someone at Modifius, I don't know. And um, he pointed out some things with the cult of Mithras that needed changing. The cult was a little too egalitarian. It didn't have much of a horror aspect, to be honest, in its initial foray. Uh, and so we had to change things up a bit make it a little more punishing because I think it in many ways is the most vanilla 
cult in the book. Uh, but in others, if you kind of peek beneath the surface, it's probably the most insidious because none of the other cults actually demand blood bonds. None of the other cults demand that you basically kneel before your elders. It is, in some ways, the perfect Camarilla cult because it's all about worshipping your elders and those elders go up to Mithras. That's where the Camarilla link kind of breaks down because not all Camarilla cities want a Mithraic presence because ultimately they're loyal to Mithras before they are the Camarilla. Right. But my uh, preferred take on the Cult of Mithras is it is the ultimate church of law in Vampire. I've, I've said it in a couple of interviews, but I think I quite like the, I guess, symbolism. It's relatable. A lot of people have read works of Michael Moorcock or indeed play D&D uh, and other games where you have law and chaos. Oh, and of course, Warhammer. Uh, diametrically opposed and I wanted to build in uh, natural uh, allegiances and opposition between the cults and as I was refining the cult of Mithras in development to make it more like this cult of law and order and structure and rigidity and you know you will succeed if you follow the path of Mithras effectively uh, and listen to your elders drink their vitae then on the flip side of that you've got the church of set which is the ultimate cult of chaos in vampire and kind of always has been and for that matter it's a bit odd that they weren't ever a part of the anarch movement um, because they're all about, no, you shouldn't accept the blood bond, no, you shouldn't obey your elders, and especially not those aeons, the false, uh, the false antediluvians, essentially. Uh, you should be free from all uh, mortal baggage, free from all vice by indulging in it and realising you don't need it anymore, and only then can you become a true follower of Set. Uh, of course, 75% of the people in V5 who join the Church of Set fail. They become whites, the monster, not the ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they all become whites. It's, it's a dreadful dreadful thing, depending on where, you, where it happens. Their, their credit rating improves <laughs> <laughs> instantly. Arrest rates go down. Uh, so, yeah, lots of UGG boots everywhere. It's just... so, yeah, so so far, not one setite has been gunned down for no reason. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so seventy five percent of them become whites. Uh, that fuck, I've ruined that monster now, haven't I? <laughs> because because once you strip a vampire of all of its essentially all of its touchstones, all of its baggage, all of its convictions you either triumph over adversity and fall in love with Set, or you just become a beast. And the Church of Set doesn't make a huge effort to make the ones that fall come back into the fold. They just kind of think, oh, well, he <laughs> clearly wasn't worthy, and let's turn our backs on that asshole. Um, so I, I know I'm going off on my own tangent, but I love the idea of the cult of Mithras and the Church of Set existing in the same city and being opposed to each other at a very grassroots level, you know, appealing to neonates because it's a different layer to vampire politicking uh, beyond the usual Sabat Anarchs and Camarilla. Uh, so, 
So yeah, I know you didn't ask me about any of that, but but interesting, interesting, and segues amazingly into a question I had. Um, I was noticing that uh, paths have seemed to be almost replaced by religion, at least initially. And what I mean by that is, is like everyone's big question for us has been the Sabbat, and we've curbed it. Who knows the future and all that? Um, but I was looking at how, in fact, the church refers to itself as Gnostics, and even as a hierarchy of do's and don'ts, which kind of mm-hmm. leads you to believe that okay, yeah, we're kind of merging, or, or better, better said, evolving past the path to make it more digestible. Paths were a pain point. Uh, for a lot of people to kind of grasp uh, in its practice, and the religion's an interesting approach. But I was curious. I noticed that the Path Catharian and Path of Night kind of roll into uh, what the Church of Cain is laying out. Is that more or less yeah. telling us that uh, more that <laughs> like, like like it's a watered down version of the Sabbat? Is a is a feel I had initially until I looked at what it could be and wanted your take on it. Uh, so I obviously wouldn't accept the title of the watered dance about how dare you, uh, but I would say it's a modern interpretation of the of the Canaanite heresy, uh, I, and uh, from the top of my head, I can't recall if you've reviewed that Dark Ages book yet uh, on your fantastic podcast. Um, but the Church of Cain is the Canaanite heresy uh, from Vampire: The Dark Ages. Uh, it's just the Canaanite heresy in the modern era. It certainly has Sabbat trappings, but that's because the Sabbat has Canaanite heresy trappings. Right. And the Nodist Gnostic divide, um, well, we we all know, we amateur historians uh, know what happened to the actual uh, Cathars. Uh, they were purged. You know, they they were seen as heretics. They were the last great heresy in Christianity. Uh, that the the Catholics put down, and that is that happens around the same time as the La Sombra Catholics in Vampire: The Dark Ages put down the Canaanite Heresy, who are essentially Gnostic vampires who believe they already exist in hell. That Cain may well be the demiurge; he is effectively the angel of murder, mm-hmm. and they are all angels. That that sort of thing. Now. That didn't stop the Catholics in our world from adopting some Cathar beliefs, because, after all, you can't just completely purge a heretical movement. There will always be survivors. You need the lesser followers, the lay followers, to join your ranks. And um, just as in Vampire, uh, the Church of Cain, or the Nodists, I guess, that were largely La Sombra at the time, uh, led by Ambrosio, Louis Monsada, and the rest, um, took on some of the Canaanite heresy's trappings of being angels. Uh, you know, they, they were to be worshipped, and they are what became the Sabbat. Now, with the modern era, you've got the Church of Cain. The Church of Cain, as I say, is the Canaanite heresy, because they didn't call themselves the Canaanite heresy. You don't call yourself heretics. They called themselves the Church of Cain even then, and they detest the Sabbat because the Sabbat represents to them the exact same kind of Catholic vampires, even though they're anti-Catholic, but they still have that structure, that purged them the first time around. And they think, you know, we are the true title holders to this uh, to this church. The, these rituals are ours. We invented them. Uh, so, yeah, there is definitely crossover, and that's deliberate, just the same as there's crossover today between Protestantism and Catholicism. 
but it doesn't mean as we're evidenced in hell northern ireland among many other places it doesn't it will still lead to bloodshed just because they're they're close and they're vying for for dominance in a lot of places um but yeah, the fact that they are Gnostics and they take in part of the path of night and part of the Cathari path is deliberate. Um, and as for the future of paths of enlightenment, I can't attest to this for a certainty, but I don't think paths of enlightenment are going to reappear in V5. That's my hunch. I think convictions replace them perfectly adequately. And maybe in the Sabbat, as I originally mooted in my V5 videos way back when, you'll be able to replace touchstones with things that aren't mortals. But as the Sabbat book isn't being worked on right now by anyone I know, or at least if it is, it's being worked on very secretively, uh, that's still very much a theory rather than a plan. Uh, so, yeah, I think you can replace most parts of Enlightenment with convictions. And you can still play a perfectly decent game as a result. Thank you for that. The other thing I had was the, the Church of Cain also has an interesting feel of a Lancana Sanctum from the Chronicles of Darkness Covenant. And I, and I enjoy that, yep. actually. And this was a wild question that was thrown at me. And uh, I was just like, hmm, I'll, I'll just ask you. And what it was was if it was intentional, is there a plan to link somehow Chronicles of Darkness with the World of Darkness? Uh, that may well be a plan for the future, um, but if it is, it's not something I've been told about because Chronicles of Darkness is still running, and I think having dimension-hopping vampires <laughs> at this point... Uh, no, no, in all seriousness, um, in Vampire the Masquerade Revised or V20, I could well have seen it uh, because you've got the true Bruha running around the true Black Hand. Anyone with the word true in their name is generally a prick um, <laughs> that's funny that we that, agree on that right. <laughs> uh, i think yeah you could defend ripping a hole in time and space and suddenly you're drinking blood with a member of the auto dracul i mean uh, i've been in plenty of larps that did that so yeah yeah and now that's not to say <laughs> i would be opposed to the idea i think that as has been evidenced in v5 system there's plenty to love about requiem i love requiem second edition especially i think it's fantastic oh, i agree it may even be a be better game than v5 in a lot of ways um but i think um if in future you would see the i don't think you'd see the auto dracul and lancet sanctum Circle of the Crown appear in the same way. But I wouldn't be surprised if in future you saw more and more elements from those covenants, the things that are popular appearing in Masquerade. It really depends on the direction Modiphius and Paradox choose to go with Masquerade, how much they're going to lean into Requiem, how much they're going to lean into Masquerade of old, or how much they're going to lean in a brand new direction. But um, in terms of my choices, when it came to the Church of Cain, yeah, I had the Lancaire at Sanctum in my mind when I was uh, developing that and when I was directing Mike, the person who wrote that, uh, because they are a strong religious faction that isn't always immediately antagonistic, whereas the Sabbat's hierarchy in previous editions was, well, if you're not in the Sabbat, these guys basically want to fuck you and drink you. Uh, not necessarily in that order. And 
the Lankerat Sanctum, while their views are probably more akin to evangelism uh, than Catholicism, despite their Catholic roots or Catholic, I guess, parallels, um, still fall in line quite nicely as what are they called the Second Estate compared to the Invictus's First Estate. So they are their their parties. They hold hands essentially, and they operate domains together. So I could see the Church of Cain becoming that kind of thing in some domains. Uh, and that's kind of my goal with Cults of the Blood Gods. I, we're not making any books that can just be... We hope not to make any books that can just be ignored. And specifically with Cults of the Blood Gods, this is setting up a new paradigm, if you like. Uh, these cults aren't going to go away. They've appeared in Cults of the Blood Gods... They will appear in future books as well. So don't think that we're never going to see a member of the Church of Cain in a city hierarchy at some point. If we do something like, I don't know, Edinburgh by night, you may well see that there's a member of the Church of Set or an Ashfinder or something like that. And so when you think back to Chicago by night, all of those characters are presented as just, they're just kindred. They're just kindred in a city. But with tools like Cults of the Blood Gods, it means you can start making characters a little more layered. Not every single one, not every single vampire is going to have a religion. But even if only, let's say, three or four in a city of 50-plus vampires has faith. We've got Michaelis Basaras in Chicago by Night. And I, yeah, that's that's right, actually. We've got... Shalim, right? Yeah, we've got a Shalimite, and we have Bahari in Chicago by Night. Yeah. So without even knowing it... And we've got Setites, yeah. so there you go. Without <laughs> even knowing it, we've got three faiths represented. So it isn't like it's going to turn over the the setting completely. It's just giving more options, and I'm always in favor of more options. So on the uh, the uh, the subject of cult of the blood gods, I want uh, if you could explain to me: Are the Hakata a clan or a sect? That's a good question. I'll come back to you next year. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, moving right along. No, the Hecata are a clan, just the same as the Cappadocians and the Giovanni were the same clan when the Cappadocians embraced the Giovanni in the first place. Um, they, excluding the Nagaraja, as many Nagaraja fans have pointed out, who knew the Nagaraja had so many fans, uh, considering how bloody difficult they are to play <laughs> in a lot of games? Um, you know, you can't really just hunt someone down an alley and take a bite out of them. Uh, I, or maybe you can, uh, but without breaking anything in the meta plot, we know that the Cappadocians, the Harbingers, the Giovanni, the Samdi, and the Lamia all have the same founder. So they're the same clan, but it's a clan made up of bloodlines. So really, what it is is Clan Hecata, which we've teased in a few places, may well have been the clan's ancient name, because it sure as hell wasn't Cappadocian. And you've basically got the Giovanni bloodline, the Cappadocian bloodline, the Harbinger bloodline, etc, etc. Uh, so it is one big clan. The Nagaraja are, are never actually formally mentioned as members of the Hecata. They're in the Hecata chapter, but I think we even state there well, we're not really sure about these guys. They seem to have the same powers as us, so we'll consider them Hakata. But that's from a Hakata perspective. Uh, even they don't know who the Nagaraja are, really. So they probably just think, oh, some 
old Cappadocian fuck probably embraced these people 1,500 years ago, <laughs> and and I guess here they are. Right. And the Nagarasha aren't going to say, well, actually, I think you'll find uh, my my sire was a well, my sire was a mage, and uh, he used some Setite blood, because most Nagarasha aren't going to know that either. And if a Nagaraja was speaking like that while pushing his spectacles up his nose, I'd expect him to get decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got such nice teeth. Actually, as a point of reference, the Nagaraja teeth thing, that, to my knowledge, is a fan creation that was made essentially sort of entered the canon mm -hmm. through osmosis. Yeah. The fact that um the Nagaraja when initially presented in Dirty Secrets and in the Storyteller's Handbook for Revised, uh, there's nothing about them having needle or shark rows of teeth or anything like that. There's a I think there's a merit or a flaw to that effect, but it's never exclusively linked to the Nagaraja. But I think in V twenty that's the first time you see an illustration of an Nagarasha with jaggedy teeth, possibly. And then through things like uh, V20, V20 Guide to the True Black Hand, or Tal Mahera, uh, you actually get references to them having needles for teeth and things like that. So it's just kind of shifted over time, like the Sons of Discord thing did. Right. Uh, where, at least for LARP, Sons of Discord became canon. Um, because I guess guys wanted to play Daughters of Cacophony. That Tommy, that Tommy Ra book, even that recent update, it made it more digestible, and I applaud the writers for making that uh, less yeah, angering. Yeah, it seemed like you all did your rock-solid best to make that uh, approachable, playable, and somewhat logical. Oh, what, the V20 one? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, that was my very first Vampire the Masquerade writing assignment. That uh, well piece of trivia for you, appropriately a piece of trivia. Uh, my very first Vampire the Masquerade assignment was back in 2008 when White Wolf under CCP was going to be releasing a game called Vampire the Masquerade the Trivia Game and I was responsible for the uh, Malkavian cards in it. Uh, it was all trivia about Malkavians and unsurprisingly it didn't get released um <laughs> so then after my years of wandering in the wilderness i was picked up as a freelance writer on rpgs about i guess five years later five or six years later so now that takes us through to the question round yeah you weren't expecting this i'm going to be testing you <laughs> gents now you're the, you always oh, think you're great. the ones asking the questions <laughs> uh here we go i feel like uh, all right i feel like this is loaded <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun It'll be fine. Uh, believe me, it won't. Uh, <laughs> all right. So here's question one of 73. <laughs> That's right. You probably didn't think that there were 73 questions to do with Clan Malkavian, but not only that, 73 questions to do with Clan Malkavian with three tiers of answers 1.3 point and 5 points wow. I spent a long time wow. writing these so here's question 1 gentlemen 
uh, and this is an easy one, I feel. The Malkavian Madness Network linked all members of Clan Malkavian. They had more than one name for the network. So for one point, provide one alternative name. For three points, provide two alternative names. And for five, provide three alternative names. I'm going to direct this one at Bob. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I wouldn't it's have done that. It's because the Malkavians are your favorite clan. Right, exactly. That's a, <laughs> when it was updated to Madness Network, I was extremely happy that it was called that because uh, we had some pretty interesting LARP uh, words for it. Um, I, 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 and I know these aren't accurate, but I know one was, uh, my favorite one was uh, the Malkavian Phone Network, which I found was interesting uh, because when it was called Madness Network, I was told, see, <laughs> that mm. was the response. Uh, I, I'm afraid that isn't an answer on the card, Bob, so yes, I'm going to have to hurry you. Oh, no, no, no. I'm literally past it today. I can't, yeah, I can't like, think no, of an no, alternate no. at all to that the question. Only that I, the only one that I can think of is the cobweb. Oh, well done. Mate. That's one point. Um, can you get any more? Uh, Remember, you've got three points if you can name one more. I understand we're not using the internet. I want everybody to know that. Yeah, That's, that's mm-hmm. what's unique. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm looking up and to the right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> up and to the right isn't that how jfk got no it's back and to the left <laughs> right. um back and to the left the web back and to the left the, the cobweb and then is the tapestry um oh very close very close this is this is prime time deluxe listening yeah right uh, so. hey listen to us guess <laughs> uh, do, do you give up? Uh, admittedly, you're you're still winning. You got one point. Uh, I uh, I fully give up because. Uh, okay. Yeah. Here are your op- here are your answers: Metatron, the mouth of God, the connection, the nerves of Malkav, Babel, or Babel, the weavery, which was close to the tapestry, and the Legion mind. I've heard of none of those. Nope, not Those one. were all sourced from Clan Book Malkavian Revised. Okay, question two. We're not going to do all of them, but we're we're going to make this competitive. Uh, okay, so that means, Nate, this one is yours. Okay. A Malkavian bloodline existed in Africa, shunned for members' oracular ability. For one point, what was the bloodline's nickname? I don't have a clue. I don't know anything about that. For three points, name the canite who led the line to Africa. <laughs> Shaq Diesel. Beli- Shaq Diesel. Beli- I have no idea. I'm afraid not. Uh, five points. Who did this leader claim to be? Uh, this leader claimed to be Malkev? No, he no. claimed to be Jesus. Oh. So they were known as the hyenas. The person that led them was Arcus, and he claimed to be Jesus. That was from Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Believe me, this trivia game, for anyone to have actually answered these questions accurately, they would have to have my brain. It's, um, you mean, it's, mean it's no had, wonder. Had been paid to focus on one clan <laughs> to make three tiers of questions for you, mean. Yes, that would be accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 73 of them, <laughs> might I add. Uh, so, okay, so you're each going to get one more question because you... I can, you know, I can live with currently, this. Currently, this is a one-point thing. It's not very entertaining. This reminds me of uh, when we tried to play the Family Guy trivia game. You know, yes. I've seen, I've seen a ton of Family Guy episodes. I was like, I'll be great at this game. I got no questions right. I was like, I don't know anything about Family Guy. Well, I think this one may be a little easier for Bob. Maybe. 
Bearing in mind, you've read all of these books. Yeah, right. Oh, accurately. Yeah. <laughs> you've got no excuse. <laughs> none. None. I'm with you. Quentin King the Third mm-hmm. was an influential Malkavian prince. So, Bob, one point over which city did he preside? Ah, uh, it's New England. It is in New England. But New England is not a city, I, I know, and you know, I know this. this <laughs> I, I'm just letting you know my brain's there. It's right there. Quentin King the Third. Mm-hmm. He had the yeah, weird knights. Knights at the round table. Mm-hmm. We dance when we're able. Baltimore? No, it's not even close. Um, no. Um, is Baltimore classed as New England? Wait, wait. I don't. I don't. No, but I... Well, no. either way, no. No, it's not that one. Okay, three points. What was the name of his deluded group of bodyguards? The actual Ooh, name? Yeah. Like their individual no, names? No, the, their, their collective name. They were the knights, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And so you've got three points out of this, even if you don't know what city he was prince of. I'm American. I don't know my cities unless I live in (laughs) And for five points, which kindred was secretly in control of the prince? Dark Selena. That was a good guess. Good guess, but no. Uh, So he was prince of Boston, and uh, the kindred in control of him was William Biltmore. Hang on a second. Biltmore? Yep, William Biltmore. Mm-hmm. I feel Dark Colony. I yep, it was feel. from Dark Colony. Well done. Okay, so that means going over to Nate. So you're Watch currently on this. the back. You're on the back foot, Nate. Mm-hmm. One point to three. Mm-hmm. We're going to Berlin by night. Oh, I'll remember this one. No, <laughs> you doubt. got this. We clowned <laughs> a lot. Doing yeah, a lot of fun. Out it of is. See, my concern though. It is. My concern though is that I did so much clowning, I should have done more memorizing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a lesson to live by. <laughs> a Malkavian in modern Knights Berlin believed himself to be a former high-ranking Nazi official. This isn't a dog whistle, listeners. <laughs> one for one point. Which official did this kindred believe himself to be? Uh the... How well do you know your Nazis? Um, I believe he believed himself to be uh, the head of the SS, whose name ah. is... I can't remember his name, because I've been asked. Okay, on to three points. Mm-hmm. Which other Berlin kindred did he most fear? Just a single kindred from Berlin. That in his bio, a sentence says he most fits. <laughs> Can you remember that sentence? Oh, Jesus. Um, I cannot remember. No, I'm not surprised. No. And for five points, do you know which group embraced him? Because at this time in history, in Vampire the Masquerade, you still occasionally had a kindred sire as a coterie at times. You're letting the side down. I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to lose here because I can't remember. Okay, passing over to Bob. Do you remember which official this was? It's uh, you could really just uh, put a crown on this triumph here. Was it Gustav? No, it was Hermann Göring. Now, now I was going for the one he feared, and the one he feared. Oh, <laughs> I, I still I, uh, I can still he... be wrong. I still, what's what I remember is the okay. Prince of Berlin. I think 
Uh, no, he most feared Heinrich Himmler. <laughs> it's it's an answer loaded with Nazis. It's an answer. And the, who was a Tremere anti-tribute? Yes, but uh, Hermann Goering was the kindred in question. Uh, at, at some point while writing these questions, I ran out of answers that related directly to Malkavian. So give me a break. <laughs> uh, and the group, uh, and the group that embraced him was the Malkavian coterie of Berlin. I thought they were called the Fourth Reich. No, no, that was a uh, group involving Bruar and all kinds oh, of things. Oh, okay. I knew it was uh, something like that. So, do you want do you want another two questions, or I feel I on? feel sufficiently embarrassed. So, do you? I mean, like I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I strangely am enjoying this. This is like you should <laughs> no, have learned. Ca- like, carry I'm on, carry on. Okay, all right. I'm going to do one more. Okay, I'm going to do one more on. for each of you, and it's Chicago based. So, there's no reason you shouldn't get this, but given that your glowing review of Chicago by Night for V5. Let's take a minute and talk about this episode's sponsor, shall we? Sure, sounds good. This episode's sponsor is By Night Studios' premium live-action role-playing event, Blood and Betrayal Redemption. Blood and Betrayal Redemption brings you, the player, into the heart of the Camarilla's intrigues, politics, and personal horror. Blood and Betrayal is a semi-annual LARP event produced by By Night Studios and is the official By Night Studios Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle. That means the things you do as a player will affect the future of the Chronicle and the world of darkness as a whole. This event is designed for both long-term veterans to live action and new participants to LARP. You don't need to know anything about previous Blood and Betrayal events to go and get involved. I want to mention a few of the major design elements that have gone into the development of this event. First, player agency is a major component of the story. How many times have you gone to a LARP or game and it's clear at the end of the night it didn't matter what choices you made? Well, the storytelling staff has paid special attention to this dilemma. They are setting events in motion, but your choices will determine the outcome of the night. Cooperative storytelling is a major part of that, too. A major focus for the BNS storytellers is the collaborative efforts to make an interesting, dramatic, and personally satisfying experience for everyone. And that goes a long way towards building that immersion piece, which is so important to LARP. But they don't sacrifice potential safety to provide it. BNS use several techniques to ensure games stay safe and fun for everyone. Blood and Betrayal Redemption will be at the Abbey in Orlando, Florida on April 24th and 25th, 2020. There are a bunch of packages available that give you added bonuses and goodies. You can check those out at bynightstudios.com. When you purchase your tickets, be sure to use our promo code MET25 to get 10% off. It'll really help our show if you use the code, so it's an easy way to support us while enjoying the premier Vampire the Masquerade event of the season. Once again, use promo code MET25 when you purchase your tickets for 10% off to support the show. Thank you to By Night Studios for sponsoring the episode. And now, back to the show. Uh, although, of course, this relates to Chicago by Night 1st edition, and the next one will be 2nd edition. So, Bob, one of the members of Kindred Punk Band, because in 1st edition they were called a punk band, Baby Chorus, was a Malkavian by the name of Raymond Falcon. One point, what was his real name? Evan Klein? Yes, so you're on four points. Three points. What Chicago-based Kindred, or which Chicago-based Kindred, sired him? Was it son? It was. You Ooh, son of a bitch. So, wow, yeah. Good wow, memory. Seven points now, doing well. And for five points on this one, which instrument did he play in Baby Chorus? That's a tough one. Mm, but here's a five-pointer. Lead guitar. No, bass guitar, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, oh, 
Ah, it was there. It was there. All right. So, so, so Nate. Yeah. Nate, uh, Bob is on seven points. Yeah. If you can get all three of these correct, mm-hmm. you can win. You can pull it back from, from behind. Okay. During the werewolf attack on Chicago in the early 1990s that led to the death of Prince Lodin, this was written before Chicago by Night 55, mm-hmm. uh, a number of Malkavians also met final death. For one point, name one of the destroyed Malkavians. Uh, well, it's not You've the got one. to cast your mind back. It's your mind's eye. Think of Chicago by Night first edition right now and the Malkavian lineup in that book. And Think. all you've basically got to do is remember which ones didn't make it through to second <laughs> Nate, edition. focus on moons over Miami in a <laughs> restaurant choked in smoke. <laughs> uh, go back into the way back machine you'll find the answers um, <laughs> uh, I can't even jeez <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't remember any of the characters uh, for the Malkavian clan in the first, uh, first edition book so I'm, I'm not going to have an answer for you well, then, no, then I think you won't get th- you won't get three points no. either. Then name two of the destroyed Malkavians. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, but but for five but for five points, mm-hmm. you could recover some glory here. <laughs> it isn't name, name three. One, name guys, three. <laughs> guys, I just want to let you know. Um, you know, I've always been routinely bad at tests. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so for five points. Name the caitiff whom Malkavian Jason Newbury destroyed. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this during the conflict. I knew you were going to ask me this, and um, he kept him in his basement. Yep, yep. He pre- pretended to be a werewolf, and yeah, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that that funny guy. Sounds <laughs> yeah, he's, so he's a good. weird guy. Who uh, I'm a werewolf. His name was uh, Paul Sweeney. It wasn't. I don't know. I have no idea what his name it was. It wasn't. That was a good guess, though. That's that's why they invented books, so I could have them at the table. I can't remember. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> exactly. My, my rote memorization is, is poor. Um, so, Bob, you could really just smash Nate into, into dust if you can name... Uh, two of these destroyed Malkavian. Yeah, I just want ahead. to let you know, the other day I was asked who was the president before Ronald Reagan, and I went, uh, I don't know, the peanut guy? Take it from what it's worth. Technically, yes. That's the peanut guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a peanut farmer, wasn't he? Yeah. Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Jimmy Carter was not one of the destroyed Malkavian. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Bob, can you name any of those Malkavians? Um, no, no, I truly can't. Uh, it's it's hard. It's it was cracking me up the whole time you were trying to Nate because I really thought yours were harder uh, because they're the ones that died. Like mm-hmm. I literally glanced over that list. I'm like, oh, they're dead. We're gone. Out of my head. What do we, yeah. we do with the undead? Not the okay. Dead. So, so let's see how many of these characters you recall when I name them. So these were the ones destroyed. Mm-hmm. Paula Smith. No. Ben Smith. That was uh, father and mother in the family with son, and. Um, Maureen O'Leary being sort of grandma. Mm-hmm. Horace Turnbull. No. And Johan Weltman. No. He had a humanity of 10 and had achieved Golconda. Oh! you <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he was that important to the setting. Uh, although, useless bit of trivia, most of these characters were murdered off uh, because they all appeared in The Jungle, a novel about Chicago in the 
I think, nineteen twenties or so, uh, and that. were were then copied. <laughs> well, their names were copied, and they were added to Chicago by Night, and then killed when someone probably mentioned, <laughs> "Ooh, I don't think we can use these characters." <laughs> um, and the caitiff that was murdered was Neon. Oh yeah, yes, son of a biscuit. Yeah, it's that's what he was. <laughs> so, um, back to the interview, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. That's rough. I uh, yeah. I applaud that game. I applaud your legwork. That's a uh, some serious legwork, sir. Yeah. Um, well, well done. That's why you're you, and congratulations on being you. <laughs> now, for, well, you know, for a less difficult question to answer, uh, this has been a, a hotly contested thing uh, for people, like literally drawing the line and saying, "I don't like V Farm." What was the purpose of backing off the horrid appearance of both the Semeti and the Nosferatu? For that matter, it rolls easily right into the Harbingers as well. Um, so I can't explain the Nosferatu. Uh, I am still running them as having a repulsive appearance. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, Bravo. I believe it's the Arata that uh, it's the Arata that said that they don't. Um, and I agree with the vast majority of the Arata, but I like my Nosferatu being hideous so there um in terms of the and, and as an aside the artwork in i think all of our books on its path is certainly portraying yeah. as being horrifying nathaniel bordruff does not look like a friendly guy at all he isn't yeah in any sense of the word that, that was uh, um, the one thing that i was um not the one thing but one of the things i was really really impressed with and happy about was the nosferatu in that book mm, they're all lovely aren't they yeah, I, uh, I said it and you you don't know how warm and black in my heart got at the same <laughs> time to see that guy brought to light with color right where he belongs just as sinister as ever it's a good pick the sinister minister he was uh he was a minister wasn't he oh, yeah. a church revival tent revival church anyway um and as far as the samadhi go uh i think you can play a samadhi with a repulsive appearance you just need to take the floor uh the i i've not outlawed it it's just that under the hecata brackets as a standard the generic hecata has one clan bane and that's the painful bite. If you want them to have a painful bite and look like a rotting corpse, you go right ahead and spend those points on a fun merit. Because, um, yeah, I think you you can play somebody looking as necrotic as you damn well like. The thing is, this edition of the game isn't going to have clan splats for bloodlines. Um, it's going to be about the clans, their core concepts. It's... Uh, I can't... I don't know, I can't speak to this being a truth, but I can certainly imagine that they want to focus on the, these clans because it's a hell of a lot easier to make things like video games, TV shows, and whatever else around them rather than using word count on bloodlines very few people are going to use, uh, especially in transmedia. Um, that's That may sound a bit cold, a bit pragmatic, but bloodlines have never been as popular as clans. Right. And that's because they're bloodlines. And while we are still rolling the clans out whenever the context for them is appropriate, uh, suddenly putting a big spotlight on a bloodline instead doesn't quite seem right. Um, I think the general idea is there are 13 clans of Cain. 
There you go. <laughs> uh, and that, but you can still play your bloodlines because that's what the bloodline background uh, sort of slash law sheet is. Uh, you can take it and a law sheet quite easily. The rules allow you to do so. And yeah, if you want your Harbinger or your Samedi to look hideous, take the floor and enjoy it because that's what they're there for. So would you say is in another I, way, this gives you an option to kind of play the reverse too. Uh, a unique Samedi that doesn't have that uh, handicap and what that might look like. Yeah, I, I've seen a few people going back to the Nagaraja saying, I can't play a Nagaraja anymore because um, they no longer have to eat flesh and i don't understand as from a game design point of view I can, okay so i can understand from a fan point of view it's not packaged how it used to be and therefore i can't play my character out of the box like i used to be able to uh, and i do understand that i completely understand that because when i bought dnd i guess fifth ed maybe or it might have been even before that there were no druids in that i love playing druids that wasn't in the box immediately and i didn't want to have to faff around making a clerical nature focused so i thought fuck this <laughs> but so i empathize but when it comes to the difficulty of making your nagaraja a flesh eater or your difficulty of making your samedi necrotic you have flaws for both of those things Right in the core book. You've got Organivore, and you've got Repulsive. That's all you have to do, and you gain points to spend on other backgrounds or merits or advantages or what have you, um, just by taking them. So, go wild. Uh, but yeah, if you want to play a, a Hecata, a modern Hecata, who doesn't have that, uh, I guess, appearance flaw or eating flaw, you can do that too. Uh, I like options in a game, and I think the Hakata provide them. Fair. I like that answer a lot. And uh, the other thing that did come to mind, I believe, Nate, you wanted to ask him something. Oh, are you talking about a certain um, building in Europe? Oh, you got it. Oh, so um, uh, we have a theory, or at least I have a theory, and Bob has kind of given his silent nod, uh, that uh, the Chantry in Vienna, the Tremere Chantry that we all knew and loved, Oh, Vienna, yeah. I, I believe that it was actually Tremere that influenced that uh, that whole destruction of the Chantry. Can you confirm this for me? Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. We're done. We're done with that. We can roll that's on. It, yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a perfectly valid theory, and it would make a great deal of sense, um, because either... Well, actually, there's a lot of people that would stand to benefit from doing it, not be... Uh, Crediting the Second Inquisition with being able to locate a thaumaturgically protected chantry is a bit rich. And <laughs> yeah. I think if you're if you're in game and you're at just a car or even Archon level, you know there's no way the this mortal government agency just found that on their own, that someone's been leaking information. So is it was it Tremere or was it someone on the inner circle? Were they trying to clean house? Was it Karl Schrecht who in Bekis Jihad's diary made it clear he was perfectly aware that there was something foul and worm like in the middle of that chantry and it needed to be dealt with? Uh, is it the burgeoning house Karna basically trying to remove their rivals in the pyramid and stop themselves from being hunted? Because if it was them, that worked. House Karna isn't just 
ruthlessly purged as it seemed like they were going to be at the end of Beckett's Jihad Diary. So there's a lot of... Hell, it could be Sorlot just saying big fuck you <laughs> right. to the Venetians. It works. And not Venetians, that would be the Giovanni. <laughs> Oops, wrong, wrong, wrong mausoleum. Yeah, but them sorry. too. Them too. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Viennese, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think putting it down to Tremere is a perfectly sound theory, but I don't know if it's something that will ever be confirmed. Either way, I again like the idea that there's lots of potential suspects. I love a mystery in a game because storytellers can do whatever they like with it. Right. I wanted to mention, and maybe this is just me, but when I read the uh, read about the preview for the Cult of Shalim, and they were talking about the uh, the Methuselah at the bottom of the sea, half in Torpor, doing these evil machinations, mm. my mind immediately went back to, uh, I believe it was Montano, um, who was re- reputed to be a La Sombra and Tribu going in and out of the abyss. Is there any yeah. relation to that? Like, did, was that, I just felt that was done to like, Separate church and state and leave him for the worship right alongside the other Methuselahs. Uh, So Montano, I guess, could have a cult around him, but he probably isn't. He, at least based on his scant few canon appearances, uh, he's an interesting Methuselah because there's been a lot of fan excitement around him over the years. Uh, I guess because he's the good one, the good La Sombra. Uh, a good son, but in in a sense, I think you're right. Uh, I think the certainly the idea of Methuselah laying at the bottom of the sea or waiting at the bottom of the sea, it would have made a lot of sense for Montano to hide down there to ensure he never got uh, destroyed by the Sabbat. Uh, on the other hand, we know that La Sombra is a big dark cloud that likes to crawl around in the darkness, so dark upon dark, and there's nowhere much darker than the bottom of the ocean. So it could be the La Sombra antediluvian. It could be a child heretofore unnamed. Uh, I think it is given the name Apollyon uh, in either Chicago by Night or Cults of the Blood Gods, but that could just be an easy pseudonym. Uh, I like the idea that it's Montano, because it would show that he is not just the noble La Sombra, that he is a, an utter vacuum of life and will, uh, and that while he isn't actively going around diabolizing people like Gratiano or Monsada or any of the other previous elders of Clan La Sombra, it touch- he's just... I was just going to say... Yeah, drinking... Sorry, uh, but I was just going to say, he's just drinking everyone's will to live, uh, which is a pretty nasty thing to do. All I was going to say is, uh, to sort of sign on that, is the fact that it touches to the heart of the game, right? Uh, Montano stares mm. into the abyss. He's he's in there floating around. There's got to be a reason. What if it wasn't the antediluvian, but he thought it was initially? And for those who are looking at that lore sheet that they bring up and then see that little excerpt of what's happening in the desert... And I've heard fans already relate that to what happened in the desert, as one Sabat member wrote in the Chicago by Night book already. Um, I found it all interesting because I said if it was Montano, it makes sense. Because if we think back to the Dark Ages, and a supplement for what we just went over in the revised, not revised, Dark Ages initially, uh, for um, mm. the La Sombra, they talk about the symbol of the cross in the sky. Yeah. And I used that for a great travesty and justification, but they still want to credit him as the good one. 
And I sat there and said to myself, well, if he's sitting in the abyss the whole time and he's not as good as people think, and remember his origin, eating a village that Angel Living Founder did, and he just, yeah, thumbs up, guy. We made a deal, <laughs> right? I was like, there's got to be more to that guy. And I think, for me, I enjoyed the fact that he's half torpid down in here. Maybe he can't get out. And this is a consequence of it to describe the power of the Methuselahs that we're talking about that yeah. have these cults. Well, if you think of the if the beckoning is indeed uh, obviously no confirmations here, but if the beckoning is indeed what most people think, and that's the Methuselahs waking up in North Africa in the Middle East, all the ones who fell from Carthage and before, essentially uh, waking up and summoning their child to them to feast, uh, and Montano isn't there; he's in the sea, and maybe he moves around because the abyss is everywhere. Time is a flat circle, and the abyss is a, is basically global, and it's in space. Uh, the, Montano doesn't need to drag you to North Africa to feed from you. He needs to drag you into the water. And in that case, the fact that the Shalimites have a kind of baptism ceremony where you go into the water and not all of them come back... <laughs> Um, and eventually, when you have divested yourself of all your worldly pleasures, uh, then sometimes you just sacrifice yourself to the ocean. Well, it's a nice way of getting a fairly steady uh, influx of Vitae uh, whenever he stirs you know, and wakes to hunger. There's definitely a Cthulhu aspect to it, uh, and that's deliberate because there's no reason vampires shouldn't deal with a little bit of Lovecraftian horror too. Uh, because people find it relatable. Call of Cthulhu is very popular, very uh, very successful. But I think in that respect, uh, the La Sombra have more in common with Lovecraft as, I guess, Lovecraft wrote it, rather than the Zimitsi, who have more in common with Lovecraft as he, I guess, as his work appears in today's society with lots of tentacles and mouths and the like. That's good insight. That's a good take on that. I had uh, I had not seen or, or allowed myself to see them as that occultish of the somber, but now my head's sitting there going, duh, see people back in the day. What did he love? <laughs> we don't know much about him. Brutal society. They bound to have rights we wouldn't understand today. In particular, at sea, and that baptism seems like it's right up their alley. So on the, uh, the subject of Chicago by night, this is a question we get all the time. I'm sure you get it all the time. Now that folks have gotten... Um, you know, their Kickstarter, physical copy books. When do you, do you have any idea when that's going to be like on sale to the general public as like a new book or uh... Uh, February? So in a week or so, Nice. Uh, I don't know the exact date in February, but it's definitely February. Uh, retailers already got it because I've already seen people tweeting that they've just bought a copy of Chicago by night from their local gaming store. Oh, that's cool. I suspect uh, those are gaming stores that ordered from the Kickstarter, yeah. so they've kind of got ahead of the curve. But um, shop stores have been able to order the book for a while now, and it will just be of, uh, with them come February. That's cool. So, yeah, not cool. long. And if you don't have a local gaming store, you can always buy it off somewhere like Amazon, off Studio 2, uh, or if you prefer print on demand or PDF, you can do a uh, drive through RPG. Awesome. The final one I have, I just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ask her to know the answer to it myself. But uh, in your words, compulsions are one of the most interesting uh, mechanic for V5 for a lot of folks because it 
they do get this confused a bit uh, with Banes. Can you explain mm. a way to make that more clear uh, for starting Storytellers the V5? You know, I kind of wish I could, and this is somewhere I'm going to stumble because I love the compulsions. In some ways, I love them more than the Banes because I find them a little more subtle and insidious. And compulsions don't really come up often in gameplay because you really need to roll badly uh, <laughs> for a compulsion to occur. And so they speaking as a developer, they take up a significant amount of word count for something that doesn't often see play. Uh, my, my thinking is if I was able to do it over again, I guess, I would certainly make the compulsions more accessible, more or more of a, I guess, a burning presence in the mind of all vampires uh, at all times, or maybe when, let's say, if you, if you, um, let's go for a rouse check. Let's say you you fail, and you could add a level of hunger, as an example. You could instead choose to indulge your clan compulsion. I would do something like that, because it then gives you the option of uh, feeding, or feeding the urge to feed, or, uh, or indulging what your antediluvian wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like I like the idea that vampires, especially, and I guess the Ministry and the Malkavians very much think this, that their souls are divided between the beast, that's pure instinct and arguably Cain inside them, and their antediluvian. So the beast is yeah is all of uh, the all of God's curses upon the undead, and that's raging away. And then you have the antediluvian half, and that's the clan compulsion. And they're constantly wrestling over the vampire's body. It's not neither of them want good outcomes for the vampire because they're both uh, alien essentially. But I th I like to think the Ministry and the Malkavians are the clans that are most keenly aware of this because they both feel they are in direct communion with their antediluvians, uh, for better or worse. Uh, so yeah, if I was to yeah, if I was to do the rule from from today, I would probably have a play around with the idea of instead of uh, succumbing to I don't know a bestial frenzy or let's say succumbing to hunger, I'd have to have a think about it. It'd be one of those things that occasionally occurs when you fail. I guess I would put clan compulsion in as a replacement for that. I like that. It's back to the options you were talking about. Yeah, I, that's what I constantly try to get across in the books I develop it's the options are good as long as you don't provide too many that it paralyzes the audience um, make them interesting make them playable and never make them so obligatory that without them the game will fail in that respect I think clan compulsions work because some people complain ah oh, I'm constantly frenzying or ah oh, I'm constantly in need of feeding in vampire it doesn't it's too much of a chore now and Weird. i understand that yeah. uh, but the fact is you shouldn't really be making that role when you're just let's say going to open the window tonight <laughs> or when you're putting on a suit or trying to chat up a girl in a bar uh, if there's no stress to the situation don't don't worry about hunger dice just 
just roll. And yeah, I guess, see how you go. Um, you don't have to be a slave to the rules as written, and indeed in every previous edition of Vampire, things like the virtues, courage, self-control, conscience, how many times were you really asked to roll conscience? Um, well, and there's a reason they're not in V5. So <laughs> we've we've always been happy to play fast and loose with the rules we like. No one ever used natures and demeanors properly either. Do the same thing with V5. Last question I have for you. Um, it's one of those softball questions. Um, is there anything that hasn't been touched on in V5 that you specifically um, would like to have a hand in the future of, you know, a clan or um, anything of that nature that, you know, maybe exists in V20 in the earlier editions, but just hasn't carried over? Uh, clan Grumble Duke. It's <laughs> uh... a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a storyteller would never uh, let me play. I believe, yeah, I'd love to see them make canonical. <laughs> That's the Malkavian uh, bloodline Shamir trained offshoot of Dumbledore, isn't it? Uh, well, Clan Grumbleduke has had its own story building now over time. At some point, I'll have to do a Storyteller's Vault release. Uh, they have, they've got a bit of lore, like uh, Grumble Dick, the fourth generation Grumbleduke, uh, overused his discipline of levitate once and decapitated himself in an industrial ceiling fire. <laughs> Um, which was very much a source of shame to the Grumble Dukes. Their their clan weakness is they have very soft heads. Um, Bruja have a habit of jumping on them, and they, they just kind of squish down like Goombas in Mario. Uh, so the Grumble Duke clan, as a rule, wears very tall hats. <laughs> or hats with spikes on. So the pickle halb is a very popular adornment for Grumble Dukes. Uh, their clan symbol is the apple. Uh, they stopped wearing clan pins when their clan founder managed to stake himself with one. <laughs> uh, so now they just carry large ornamental apples in their hands wherever they go. <laughs> Grumble Dick. And their other two dis their other two disciplines next to Levitate are of course Patronus and Analing. <laughs> <laughs> we eagerly await the um, Yeah, I've got a big selection of these alternative clans for vampire. We've got Clan Vagarante, we've got Clan Von Vandervon. Um so yeah, they they've all got their own little quirks and disciplines. Um <laughs> Oh, and of course, the V20 Dark Ages, our remains are in there, and the true brewer. <laughs> Play vampire as it was meant to be played. <laughs> but in seriousness, if I could write anything for V5, I'd probably give the Ravnos a go, because they're a tricky clan. Uh, to, and I don't mean that in any kind of stereotypically negative way. Um... <laughs> Damn it, I've already fallen into the Ravnos trap. You, you um, did it. You asked us about Nazis, you talked about Ravnos. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> what, el what else can I do uh, to get myself never hired again? Um, so the Ravnos obviously have a lot of baggage. Everyone knows about it. And uh, it's a perfectly valid criticism to say, oh shit, I'm never having a Ravnos in my game, at least not as written in any previous edition. Now, it's funny because 
second edition Ravnos. Ugh, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> and revised edition Ravnos. I uh, kind of getting somewhere, but still the addicted to deception and never trusted thing is not not that great. Uh, and then V twenty Ravnos, yeah, all right, becoming slightly more palatable. Dark Ages Ravnos again, uh, getting there, and then you've got V twenty Dark Ages Ravnos, which is ooh. You're now regional. You've actually got reasons for having the curse you do, but the main issue with the Ravnos is there's so much baggage and so much almost in-plot justification for why they have been fixed, and I can't stand that. As a game developer, I don't want to have to justify why a bad concept is now palatable. I want the clan to just be presented as palatable full stop. This is how they've always been. The previous editions are frankly not canon anymore in the sense that their weakness has not changed five times over the last 25 years. Um, <laughs> so I would strip down the Ravnos and build them up from the ground up, ideally. I, I see no issue with them being, or with there being a clan of outcast vampires who attach themselves to things like carnivals, circuses, biker gangs, and I know people think that's the Gangrel, but that is not how people play the Gangrel. Um, people no. always play city-type Gangrel. Um, but the general clan philosophy in the designing of V5 is that all clans have to fit within a media stereotype of vampires, a different one for each clan. Each one has to have at least one film where there is a vampire like that. And the Ravnos have the Lost Boys. They are the Lost Boys clan. And I would extend that to say they're the John Carpenter's Vampires clan. They are all those uh, films about scary fucking vampires that live on the road. Uh, and they do live on the outskirts. And when they do visit your domain, they are fucking terrifying because people know that they bring nightmares with them. So I think you can do something with that without tying it to a real-world culture uh, and certainly without using harmful stereotypes or insulting names for them. Uh, but the the biggest challenge with that is established fans are going to make the connection. If you say they like to move around with circuses or carnivals, people are going to say, you're basically saying that all Romany move around with uh, circuses and carnivals, and that right. wouldn't be what I was saying. I'd be saying, no, the Romany element just isn't there anymore. Right. It's just the Ravnos like to attach themselves to people that travel. Um, but in that case, I think the concept works, but because of the various mistakes in the past, it's going to be damn difficult to get it right. right. I'd give it a go. I mean, I've been called many bad things over working on V5. <laughs> I'm sure I can deal with another one. Uh, I, I I like the idea of, like, a, you know, Near Dark or uh, Lost Boys. Yes. Uh, yeah, Near Clan. Dark, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I, I just can't stop thinking about the, uh, the elements of them traveling. If you focus it more on beachal nature, wouldn't that take care of the problem? I mean, because essentially it's what we're doing, right? When we're yeah. talking about that. 
I mean, I feel like you'd have to just say none of that stuff. Just don't include it in the in the, right. in the fiction. When you're a predator, you need a large territory. Well, who's in those territories? Yep. I mean, that's yeah. just the, just the way I see it. You're going to feed on those who are um, not as well protected and defended up in a city and all that nonsense. Yeah, and I think you can also justify them being a very small clan as a result because the era of mass migration has kind of fallen away barring refugees in um, war-torn areas. So, yeah, Ravnos could be complete and utter shits and prey on them too. Uh, but I think given that the Ravnos have, in canon, been through a massive clan-wide shock, um, being able to say, well, you know what, there are far fewer circuses these days, there are far fewer biker gangs these days, there are no more um, settlers or invaders travelling along the Oregon Trail anymore, and so the Ravnos who used to pin themselves to these groups, they just died out because they can't adapt. That isn't the world for them now. Uh, does that mean you can't play a Ravnos in a city, uh, you know, who settles down and plays with the rest? I am. I don't see why you can't. But I think, again, the idea of attaching each clan to an archetypal vampire concept says to me that's where they belong. That's, that's, the, that's the context for them. It's just they need to be presented in a very smart way can we expect to see you at any um local conventions this year in the states uh christ no i've already <laughs> been to uh, i've already been to midwinter i try to visit the states as little as possible i love the food i love the people most of the people i hate hate the politics and uh i know your show isn't a political show uh, but uh, I I really struggle to visit a country that keeps children in cages or just penned up uh it's in general it it leaves a bad taste in my mouth so you know happy new year everyone um fair enough <laughs> also i mean from a personal perspective it is always a colossal hassle yeah. entering the united states uh but I, I gen con is it's always appealing because it is the biggest industry event and it means i get to see all the people i work with get to interact with fans and that is always lovely i i never ever think i wish these fans would fuck off uh and i mean that because i was a fan uh, i still am a fan and i completely understand what it's like to want to talk about vampires with people who write vampire um but at the same time gen con has become such a colossal ball ache yeah. to try and book a hotel near anywhere near mm -hmm. it that's at all cost effective and um it's really incredibly exhausting yeah, yeah. <laughs> the entire thing it's also at the height of summer so uh, it's not like you can just step out for a breath of fresh air unless you want to be baked right. <laughs> in the lovely indiana sun yeah uh so so in short, no, most of my conventions are going to be Europe-facing this year, uh, but I guess don't rule it out. You never know. You might see me over Origins or PAX Unplugged or something like that. We'll have to see. Well, cool. Um, I, that answers all of my questions. Do you have any more questions, Bob? No, you've hit everyone. Cool. Well, thank you, Matthew, for being on our podcast. We always enjoy having you, uh, especially when you um, quiz us about the Malkavians and we don't know... <laughs> We don't know shit. <laughs> I, I, I knew uh, seven see, points uh, of it. Just hey, saying. 
I didn't know anything. The embarrassment <laughs> is all mine. <laughs> well, I've got a little bit more time, so how about a bonus round? <laughs> I think we could do we could do one more set of questions just to really truly cement my level of embarrassment because I'm even more embarrassed because I used to consider the Malkavian clan one of my favorite clans. That was a long time ago. They're not really on that list anymore, but I'm I'm willing to sacrifice myself. There is no reason for anyone to ever know these answers. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. All right. So I'm gonna give. I'm gonna start with you, Nate. Okay. Actually, no, no. You know what, Nate? Because we know you're on the back foot. I'm gonna start with Bob okay. because it makes it more dramatic if Bob gets his questions wrong. Uh, Bob, do you want a question based largely around a modern book, so a Masquerade era, or a Dark Ages book? We'll go. We'll go Dark Ages. Do it. Okay. Do the Dark Ages. Uh, you've not reviewed uh, Libellus Sanguinus Four yet, have you? I think that was the one we just reviewed. Yeah. Excellent. Well, in that case, you should get this <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, Bob. Three cults of mystery existed in Clan Malkavian during the Middle Ages, or Dark Ages as it's known, in game. One point, name one of these cults. They're the seer cult, correct? So the ones that are their oracles? Um, maybe, but that, it wasn't their name. It wasn't their name. Alright, uh, yeah, there was three. I'm, uh, I'm seeing... You know what, I'm gonna give you, yeah, I will give you a clue, if you need one. Actually, no, you know what? You don't need one. Nate needs the clues. <laughs> Tell you what, that's the one I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm even picturing the page where they show it. That's, uh... Well, I'm going to tell you what the three-point and five-point questions are. What, name two of the cults? Name... <laughs> and then name three of the cults. <laughs> You're serious. That's that's harsh. Mm-hmm. That's harsh. Um, yeah, I can't think of their actual names. No, I don't. I didn't remember how to memorize those. Okay, I'm going to be passing this over to Nate. Nate, this is a chance to trounce your partner in crime. For fuck's sake, Nate, this is being handed to you on a platter. <laughs> Do you need a clue, Nate? I'll, I'll take a clue. I have I have one point, so I'll take a clue. Okay, uh, so their name starts with the word Ordo. <laughs> uh, it's Ordo, Ordo, Ordo. Uh, Ordo... Damn it, I got it. Ecstasis. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's one point. Uh, Ordo Enigmatis. Yes. Okay. I, so I can't remember the third uh, one. Yeah. Well, that's a total of four points that you got yourself there. Well done, sir. Well done. So, so you are back in the I was, game. I was going to say Menasnami, Mezzanine, Mezzanamini, Mezzanine, Ordo Mezzanine. No. But they like to hang out in the lobby, really. <laughs> the mezzanine, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, the last one was Ordo Maleficus. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I forgot. I confused it in my I, brain. I right. said that. I don't think the mic picked it up, but I said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Nate, the, the last question is for okay. you. <laughs> and that means you could pull this out of the The answer is Jocastian? Uh, that is not the question. <laughs> Do you want a, mal- a masquerade or a dark ages? Uh, let's go with question? a with a modern. Let's go with a modern. Okay, I'm going to be even more generous. 
Would you like another Berlin by Night no. question to save yourself? <laughs> no, just move on to the next thing. <laughs> um, an LA by Night? Let's go with that one. Okay. A Malkavian that dwelt in Los Angeles in the modern nights believed himself to be Count Dracula. Uh-huh. For one point, what was his given name? Bela? Yes, okay, that's one point. So uh, I believe that puts you on, what, six? I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay, for three points, who was his sire? Uh, I can't remember, but I know Bob's going to know it. No, no, no. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, uh, Bella Sire? No. Mm-mm. Bella Sire was... Okay, and for five points, where did this deluded vampire make his haven? <laughs> It, it is um, the Ooh. old Universal Studios lot. Yes. Okay. Nate pulls it out okay. and uh, whacks okay. Bob across the face with it. Okay. All right. I think you're actually going to be evenly placed if, Bob, you can name his sire. If I can name his sire. Yeah. If um, Passing it back over to you. If you can answer that question, you both score evenly, which I think is a nice way to end. You just... You just heard that I didn't know his name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not saying we, we don't play for nice endings really in Vampire. That's Night that's Parade, that's so. correct. I, I botched, sorry. What was the, what was it the was Count, name? It was Count Rigatoni. Oh Count my god. Rigatoni. How could you forget that ridiculous Jesus. name, you dumb bastard? What's funny is I know you've yeah. you you have you've uh, NPC'd that character so many times. I know. I'm surprised. <laughs> I, I, was, I was sure you would know his fucking sires. You don't understand. I've asked to play that guy at Gen Con like all the <laughs> like every time I've been up there since I did it the first time four years ago. So fun. Wow. Uh, Rigatoni, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, again for being on our podcast. It was uh, it's quite, it was very fun. Quite all right. It was. It was a blast. Thanks again to Matthew Dawkins for taking the time to be on our podcast. Cult of the Blood Gods for Vampire the Masquerade is fully funded, so keep an eye out for that backer kit if you didn't jump in on the Kickstarter. Also, make sure you go to backerkit.com to pre-order your copy of the Came From Beneath the Sea. PDF copies just went out to the backers. I got mine. It's awesome. Make sure you tune in to our next episode on Tuesday, February 4th for more details on the upcoming Vampire the Masquerade Chapters Kickstarter and how you can help support us in the process. Thanks everyone for listening. We up out of thank you for listening to 25 years of vampire the masquerade if you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade we offer reward tiers of additional patreon only podcasts t-shirts and personalized gaming experiences follow us on twitter facebook and instagram and go to our website utilitymuffinlabs.com for links to all of our social media additional podcasts and more If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff, or anything else you can think of, email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.